in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM, local time. It is now 106, and this portion of the show Folks, it's brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Now, remember, they have a brand new deck where you can sit outside. And and it's just uh, terrific, as a matter of fact. So stop it and see them. Delicious food. You can sit inside. You can sit outside. But I'll join you and see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Now, this is interesting. DeSantis. DeSantis' announcement targets Disney's one-of-a-kind special taxing and governing district. Florida Governor DeSantis seeks to end Disney's taxing district. DeSantis threatens Disney's special status in Florida. Boy, he is going fully to war against Disney. And think about it, folks. I mean, what exactly are they going to do? Close Disney World. Um, most people don't even realize they still have Disneyland out in out in the the Anaheim area. DeSantis threatens Disney's special status in Florida could limit their municipal market access. Dispute over school and structure of gender identity escalates. I think I should have some sound on this. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis escalated his dispute by asking to consider the termination of special privileges the company currently enjoys in the Sunshine State. Now, one thing about this is obviously, um, listen, they, they are very valuable, a very valuable group to have. So, but I want to play, this is uh, Governor DeSantis is going to use this special session to go after laws that have given them special privileges and lets them operate as their own government. I have sound of this. I think it's 51 seconds. Here we go. I'd also like to make another announcement before we get into the subject of today's program. I think as many of you know, the Florida legislature is meeting this week uh, to consider the congressional reapportionment plan for Florida for the next 10 years. Uh, and that is what they've been called upon to do. But I am announcing today that we are expanding the call of what they are going to be considering this week. And so, yes, they will be considering the congressional map, but they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, and that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Boy, he is not backing down. Now, that is someone, uh, again, that is someone, he, he, I think he is just the one to watch for, we, we still have a long way to go, but for 2024, um, so, someone asked, what about he and Trump on the same ticket? I don't think so. I don't, th- from what I understand, they are not getting along now. Um, pre- let's, let's just be, go- pre- President Trump would not want to be his VP, right? President Trump would not want to be, uh, the vice president to DeSantis. And I, I'm not convinced DeSantis wants to be President Trump's vice president. I fully get people saying, you know, they would be a a great team, but I um I I don't think so. I think they both want to um I think they both want to you know, they both want to be president. Now, I also want to play this Michelle Obama's brother. I interviewed him a lot. In 2008, he was the coach at Brown University, Craig Robinson, and his wife, they're suing their children's former school in Milwaukee. Craig Robinson, brother of former First Lady Michelle Obama. Again, I interviewed him in the fall of 2008 a number of times 
about his brother-in-law. They're suing the University School of Milwaukee, alleging he expelled their two young sons after raising concerns about racial and social economic bias at school. The Robinsons enrolled their two children, 11-year-old and 9-year-old, pre-kindergarten, and their younger son. So I want to just hear a little bit of this. Of I, I don't know the, the reason of why that's pretty extreme, expelling children um, of that age. So, folks, the, the battle, I believe, the upcoming election this year and also in 2024, it's really about the schools. And it's really about parents wanting to get more involved in schools, parents not liking, like the fact that they've been sidelined with the schools, parents are waking up to what's going on in the schools. I want to hear a little bit about uh, Craig Robinson, Michelle Obama's brother, and they're filing this lawsuit. Alleging that it expelled their two young sons after the Robinsons raised concerns about racial and social economic bias at the school. We're going to talk to them both live in just a moment, but first, Steve Osinsami has more details for us. Good morning, Steve. Good morning to Robin. One of the things that started all of this was a classroom assignment that the parents say they only happened to hear because classes were virtual and the kids were at home. It's considered one of the top private schools in America. And in this YouTube video, the school posted at the start of the school year, they share their key ideals. On a culture built upon the common trust. We are a diverse community of learners, leaders, and citizens. And we have much to offer one another. But this morning, the University School of Milwaukee is facing a lawsuit with accusations of racism and breach of contract from two of its most famous parents. Michelle Obama is my little sister. Craig Robinson and Mrs. Kelly Robinson. Craig Robinson, seen here at the White House, is the brother of former First Lady Michelle Obama, making him the brother-in-law of a president. He and his wife, Kelly, say that administrators kicked their children out of the pre-K through 12 school after the parents complained about racial discrimination. The Robinsons are now suing, saying that the school retaliated against their family after they submitted two separate reports in January and March 2021 to the school, concerned about what they felt was racial and ethnic stereotypes in virtual classroom assignments. After conversations and emails, the parents were stunned on April 14, 2021, when the school told them it was dismissing their fifth grader and then their third grader on June 21st, 2021. The complaint cites a letter the school wrote that claimed the parents repeatedly engaged in disrespectful and demanding communications with and about our teachers and administrators. It has only become more evident that there has been a complete breakdown in your family's trust of and respect for USM. The kids were just 9 and 11 years old, and their parents have asked us to blur their faces. Even the school says they were model students, calling them, quote, portraits of a graduate. But now the school says they'll need to graduate somewhere else. We reached out to the school, and they tell us that they weren't served the lawsuit, and instead their law firm was. And without time to review it, they tell us they have no comment at this point. Robin. Steve, thank you. Craig and Kelly Robinson are joining us now live from Milwaukee. Good morning to you both. And we know this is very important to you and that we heard in Steve's report that it started because you were overhearing your children's assignments while they were learning virtually. Craig, what specifically were you hearing that first concerned you, Craig? Well, Robin, and thanks for having us on and, and congratulations on your 20 years with GMA, um, uh, you know, the, this this all started as, as a lot of parents. We heard what was going on in the classroom uh, because of COVID, and um, there were repeated use of racial and ethnic stereotypes um, that were in actual assignments. Uh, the use of the word plantation um, and and uh, things of that nature. In addition to the racial and ethnic stereotypes, there there was an ins insensitivity to socioeconomic status, uh, and, and and as well as a disregard for. Um, 
the children who weren't physically in the classroom. And, and all of this we found, we, we thought, okay, maybe we'll have a communication with them and give them some suggestions. And uh, once we gave them those suggestions and, and, and had a little bit of a back and forth, they summarily dismissed our young children, retaliating against them because of the issues that we brought up. And after you started talking about this and accused the school of bias, uh, Kelly, did you hear from other parents and, and former students? Yes, we did, Robin. In fact, um, this story resonated with many families in the community. And former University School of Milwaukee families reached out to us. And we were not aware initially of how far-reaching this was. And we heard stories of other families being retaliated against. We also heard about um, other biases that have been shared over the years. And while um, we heard biases, and we what we would like to point out is the egregious nature in which they handled this with us and with our young boys. But one of the stories um, that we weren't made aware of was that just as recent as 10 years ago, the University School of Milwaukee had in their fourth grade curriculum that students reenacted the Underground Railroad and students dressed up as slaves and ran through the school in the dark and the teachers were actually the slave masters who captured these students. And hearing these stories um, and understanding the pain that other families have gone through are one of the reasons why we wanted to come forward with this story. And knowing how uh, one of the other stories uh, uh, that we heard was about how a the, the black students um, seem to get more harsh punishments than whites, the white counterparts. In particular, a student using the N-word um, may be considered a good student or come from a good family, and their punishment is not as harsh as other students, in particular students of color. And Kelly, this so there have been many stories. We, I'm sorry, this led you to file. I'm sorry, this led you to file a bias incident report with the school. What was their initial response? to those reports. Correct. The University School of Milwaukee had a bias incident reporting system that they set up last year. So our first, the first bias um, that we had noticed, we did, I did put a report in and I was told that the reporting system was not working. And then um, the next was a conversation with the head of school who told me that this was, in fact, not a bias and challenged our, um, our, our bias. And so then um, each other time following when any bias was reported, instead of acknowledging and working to uh, make this better, um, they ended up dismissing our, our students. And what you should know is we did partner with the head of school all year. In fact, he asked for our feedback. He wanted to know because we had this bird's eye view into our students' learning. So he asked to share stories with him. We, we met with him on Zoom with other families. We had phone conversations with him. In fact, at one point, he even told me that I should be on his payroll because of the amount of information that I had provided to him. He said because he was new, I had given him his marching orders for the next five years of what he needed to do to make this a better place for all students. And in fact, at one point, as I was sharing information with him, he said, well, I'll use this information, but I'll never give you credit. And while that wasn't what we were doing it for, what we wanted was for them to make change. And instead of, of doing the right thing and helping these students, they dismiss our young and sons. So, but it, Craig, you, you have said that you, you had a great relationship and, and what Kelly was referring to as well with the school previously. But as we heard in, and read in one of the letters, the school accused you, Craig, of repeatedly engaging in disrespectful and demanding, demeaning communication uh, with teachers and administrators and that there was a breakdown of your trust and respect for the school. So what's your response to that, Craig? Well, I, Robin, I got to tell you, I don't really have a response for that. I mean, if you ask anybody in the community, both Kelly and I are partners with teachers and we advocate for teachers. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't have any idea uh, where that comes from. But what I will tell you is that we, we're moving forward with this for a couple of reasons. We want to hold the University School of Milwaukee uh, 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 accountable to... to 
not just our two children who they retaliated against, but more importantly, there's a whole community of people who are out there that we, we wouldn't feel right if this happened moving forward. So You know what's uh, amazing about this? Is, and that's a private school, private school that this happened with. I, I, I don't know what to make of that whole thing. And just the, um, you know, the, the, there's part of it, I think, is just the element that so many people that the, the public school system that I think has not worked well at all and has failed, um, there has to be a better way about it. There, there has to be a better system because the, what, what's a real joke is the way that the public school system is operating and they think that it, it's actually going to improve test scores in any way because it's just not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. So, all right, folks, I want to go to, let's go to the latest now. Russia is really ramping up the war in eastern uh, Ukraine. And uh, James Longman, who I think does a very good job for ABC, has a good... Good morning, George. We're outside the city of Zaporizhia in the southeast of Ukraine. Russian forces are about 15 miles from where I am now. And just about every man in every town and village in this region has gone to the front line because President Zelensky says Russia's second advance has begun. This morning, President Zelensky has announced the Russian offensive into the Donbass region has now begun. A very large part of the entire Russian army, he says, is now focused on this offensive. The Pentagon isn't disputing combat in the region, but it says Russia is still building up their capabilities. The Russians are are doing what we call shaping. They're trying to set the conditions for uh, more aggressive, more overt, and larger ground maneuvers uh, in, in the Donbass. As of now, a senior U.S. defense official says the Russians have 76 battalion tactical groups in Ukraine, each of them with up to 1,000 troops, and all of them amassed in the south or east. The mayor of Kramatorsk, where a rocket killed nearly 60 people earlier this month, says the situation has been escalating in recent days. We are affected by rockets every night, every day. And in the nearby port city of Mariupol in the southeast, Ukrainian forces outnumbered. They're still desperately holding on as Russian troops close in. Remaining Ukrainian forces in the city are held up in the Azovstal steel plant. This drone footage released by Mariupol City Council shows smoke pouring from their stronghold, but it's unclear when the video was taken. Russia once again demanding the surrender of the remaining fighters in Mariupol, the new deadline passing just hours ago. Pro-Russian separatists say they are assisting Russian troops now storming the compound. The city a strategic target in this eastern push as Russia seeks to create a land bridge connecting Crimea. Civilians desperate to escape. Ukrainian officials say there may have been tens of thousands of civilian casualties. With reports of humanitarian convoys being hit, escaping is dangerous. Columns of cars that have just got out of the eastern part of Ukraine, which is occupied by Russia. You can see on some of the cars the word children to try to make sure they have safe passage. Natasha grips on to son Ivan. Staying there is scarier than leaving, she says. We were surrounded by armed people, she says. You have kids and people with guns can just decide to break into your apartment. And as Russia claims to have hit hundreds of targets across the country, Vladimir Putin forces not without setbacks. Images have now emerged online showing the Russian warship Moskva sinking. Casualties are still unknown. Now there was a lot of pride here for how Ukrainian forces had managed to defend the capital Kyiv, but no one is under any illusions. This second advance is going to be so much more difficult to defend. You know folks, this um this is the time that and right now it's 125. Uh it's very obvious that the Biden administration was just too slow in getting them the weapons that they need. It's 125. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Let's go to, uh, this is retired Colonel Steve Gagnon explains what the fall of Mariupol could mean for the um, the war in Ukraine. And I, I think he is um, uh, really knowledgeable and um, 
let's let's listen to his thoughts anyway. I think he's been consistent. As James just pointed out, a second surrender deadline has passed. The Ukrainians barely holding on. What are the implications if the city falls? Well, uh, obviously, Putin wants all those troops that are defending the city right now. That's six to 7,000 troops. He wants to deploy them elsewhere. But Mariupol is a strategic city, George. If you saw, if you looked at the at the graphic there that, uh, that James showed, uh, you see that it's a major port city uh, on the Sea of Azaz, and it is a uh, major export area for coal, for corn, and for steel. And so he needs that uh, if he's going to squeeze the Ukrainians economically. But it is also the key to hold that thin sliver of land that provides the land bridge to Crimea. So it absolutely a strategic city. Putin has to take Mariupol. Both Putin and Zelensky have now said the Russian offensive is a new Russian offensive has started in these. What are you going to be looking for there? Yeah, George, the, the, the war uh, in the Donbass is going to be a very different war than the war that we've seen up to now. Uh, you know, around Kiev, it was almost urban fighting. It was much more, uh, it was easier for the Ukrainians to defend against because it was enclosed and the Russians got trapped on highways. They were trying to take the capital. The Donbass is much more favorable to the kind of warfare that uh, the Russians are used to conducting, this tank warfare or areas where they can uh, have artillery barrages. So uh, it's going to be very, very tough for the Ukrainians to defend. That's why we hear Zelensky saying it's Groundhog Day. I'm asking for the same things over and over. I need more artillery. So very tough for the Ukrainians. But George, think about this. Uh, once he takes Mariupol, he owns enough of the Donbass, Putin, where he can say, that's it, we're suing for peace and accept the status quo. Or he can continue to grind on in the, in the uh, east, pushing westward in a war that could last months, if not years. And probably oh. only he knows, even if he knows what Folks, he And again, I... I um Obviously, listen, I mean, I know there's some people, they got to get rid of them. They got to, they, they, you can't. He's too hard. He's been planning for this too long. He's he's not easy to find. He's in no way that um, that they can find him. It's just it's just not happening. So Russia says evacuation card is open for Mariupol, but Ukraine says four people were killed trying to flee. All they do is lie. All they do is lie, folks. Good afternoon. Right now it's one twenty eight. On this Tuesday, you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program is brought to you by Competition Shooting Supplies. Where do you get your firearms, guns, and ammo? Stop in and see our friend John Francis. Competition Shooting Supplies. Selection assistance. Everything is tailored to your needs. Quality competition ammo. Easy to get to. 435 Benefit Street in Pawtucket. They're open Tuesday through Saturday. And they also have a very good Facebook page. If you're looking to uh, sell firearms that you have, you want competition. Or if you're looking to sell them on consignment, you can contact John Francis at Competition Shooting Supplies. I want to um, I want to play, go back to that Superman... Uh, as they call it, um, press conference that they had. And I want to just play a little bit of that, of the way it came down, of some of the quotes from it. As I've said, I don't think that that would be uh, in any way the best use of the um, of the money, I I don't think they should be bailing this guy out in any way. I do not. Um, let me just find and pull up some of the some of the sound. And I go back to, you know, whether it was Governor McKee or Stephen Pryor or Mayor Alorza. I um, he's the commerce guy and the owner of that building, High Rock. You know, they were all just patting themselves on the back. And I I recognize they feel that they pulled something off that was um, pretty spectacular. But I, I still don't think the numbers match and in, in, uh, line up the way that they should. It's interesting that they let, let that Stephen Pryor, that they let him. Uh, here's um, Lieutenant Governor Matos. Let's hear this. Incredible advocate for 
province and bringing our downtown back. Lieutenant Governor, it's often an honor to be your co-host in so many forums, and it's a true honor to introduce you now. Sabina Matos. Thank you so much. I really want to thank in, um, Governor McKee and Secretary Pryor, and also I want to thank Mayor um, Lorsa for coming together and making this happen. I want to thank the leadership of the Senate and the Speaker of the House also for making it happen. And I have to put a plug for my um, former colleagues of the Providence City Council. We had several meetings in this uh, around this issue. Um, you're going to be hearing from uh, the President Igliosi soon, but I have all the colleagues, former colleagues here in the room that I want to acknowledge, Brian Goncalvet and in La Fortune, who I can see right now. It, it took a long time for us to get to this point. We saw several proposals coming in front of us that we were trying to make it happen. And it took a long time. I mean, it's just absolute political theater. Nothing more, nothing less. What did she do to make it happen? She supports, she supported defunding the police. If McKee had not appointed her as Lieutenant Governor, she doesn't have it. Let's see here, folks, I want you to listen to, this is the guy that's the uh, the developer of it, of the super scam building. Nice to see those who I met before. This is the guy that's left the building vacant for nine years. Nine years. Good afternoon, this is certainly exciting day and it's good to be with you when our group first purchased the building in 2008 we were bullish on providence and north island looking back that seems like a long time ago and certainly many changes have happened since then but what's never changed are our views on providence and north island as a good place to make investments and we certainly remain bullish today on downtown Providence. We finally met a moment where all of the necessary stars aligned and everybody has come together to harness that moment and create the next hundred year future of this building. Not happening. 111 Westminster will once again contribute to Rhode Island's economy, serve as a beacon of prosperity and growth in the skyline. Provide much-needed housing for Rhode Islanders. Oh, yeah. All told, the redevelopment of 111 Westminster will create 285 residential units, 20% of which will be dedicated to affordable housing. Now, just an aside here, I do have a very strong commitment, both personally as well as financially, in Providence. I remember when I was a young kid, only a couple of years ago, um, my mom and dad, when we'd want to celebrate, we kind of had an affinity for Italian food. And we would either go to the North End in Boston, I grew up in Massachusetts, or we'd come to Federal Hill. And my dad died when I was young, but my mom would keep that tradition up and we'd go to one of the two to celebrate. So when That's I bought the cool. building in 2008, I went to my mom. I said, Mom, Mom, I bought this building. What are you, British? Called the Superman Building. Yeah, and left it vacant. Oh, I've seen that show. No, Maloma, different, <laughs> different building. But same, same name. Ah, terrific. Do you think we can go and have some dinner there? Federal Hill. I said, Mom, it's not even on Federal when that gets repositioned and redeveloped, I promise I'll take you to dinner at Federal Hill again. It's a fake story. Well, I signed some papers on the way over here literally an hour and a half, two, two hours ago, in Zach's office. And on my way over here in my car, I called my mom, who's still alive, God bless her, at 88. I said, Mom, we're going to Federal Hill. <laughs> she said, for crying out loud, it's been 12 years, and I'm wilting away to nothing. I said, Mom, you got a ways to go to catch me. It's okay. Uh, uh, but I'm proud of our long-standing commitment to maintain this building. Our relentless efforts in pursuing opportunities to repurpose this important community landmark. I do see Joe Paolino here. I see Buff Chase. Obviously, Zach. We've had some highs and lows. We came very close on two or three occasions. 
pretty well celebrated. I think most of you know about them. And we had some disappointments when they didn't come through. While a longer journey than most of us had hoped, this great day has finally came. The building is stunning architectural features, solid bones. Once completed, it will be one of the best and most exciting locations in which to live in downtown Providence. What? We also firmly believe that 111 Westminster will further activate the Kennedy Plaza area. Not happening. As Mayor Loza had referred. No way. We know we're part of the puzzle. We want to bring back additional vibrancy and economic activity to a key area of the city. Yeah, it only costs three million. I want to thank million. this administration, in particular Governor McKee, Commerce Secretary Pryor, for their steadfast support of this project and bringing new solutions to the table and solve a very complicated problem. I also want to thank Mayor Aloza, Council President uh, Igliozzi, and the City of Providence for their support of happening. the project. Thank you, Rhode Island Housing and the Rhode Island Foundation for your support as well. Lastly, I want to thank my development team, led by Zach Dallow, who has been a tireless advocate. Oh, folks, nine years vacant. Good afternoon at 1.37. But I want to play, I'm going to play the, the real part that jumps out on this whole thing. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Yeah, he bought a building and then the housing market collapsed. He paid $33 million in 08. Now today it's worth maybe 10. And he wants the state to put up $300 million. I mean, absolutely not. No way, not happening. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show, brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Make it a great day at Ron's Pastry Gourmet, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. They're open until 2, Tuesday through Saturday. Everything baked fresh, delicious calzones, the most delicious chocolate frosted donuts. Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Stop in and see them today, right off of Silver Spring Street. I'll see you at Ron's Pastry Gourmet. But the part that really jumps out is when Stefan Pryor brings up the um and and they're going to we're going to slap a public labor agreement on it, which is ridiculous. So, um which means that there's no bidding. It's it's a no bid contract. The unions get the uh the bid. I think here's what he brings up um Nope. I don't know who these people are. Oh, uh, Igliosi. I, listen, I understand why Providence wants it. But no, this this should not come down this way. And then I still don't. Uh, Justin Katz was right. What, why are they giving Crossroads Rhode Island 500000 That's just symbolic. And, and Justin's right. The money's just being funneled around. There we go. Sabatoni. Here we go. Listen to this, folks. You wonder why there's problems in Rhode Island. You're about to hear it. Tell you, Buff Chase and Joe Paolino will tell you, you can't get a complex project like this done without skilled labor. Mike Sabatoni, you rep, represent the building trades beautifully, and you've been an amazing partner. No big contract. To be working towards a PLA for this development. Mike Sabatoni. Just so you understand, and I will play, Channel 12 several years ago did a series of stories on these PLAs, public labor agreements that take out any competitive bid process. And there you have the head of commerce saying, I can't wait to slap, have a no bid contract enter into this whole thing. All right, listen to Sabatoni. Now, he and the old man, I believe um, they're, they're distant cousins or something to Ramundo. But he's, um, and I've met him before. Again, I get it. Decent guy. They got way too much power. If they really wanted to help Rhode Island, you wouldn't have such a hold. The unions wouldn't have such a hold on these projects. You'd have an open bidding process. But it's not a bidding process. And then again, I, it wasn't lost on me, the photo of him grinning with Governor McKee at the Sabina Matos kickoff announcement. Well, as most of you know, when you come to events like this, if you see me, that means it's over, because I'm last. 
Do you think as the labor guy would negotiate a better seniority clause up until this point? Because most, mostly everything's already been said. But just to echo just a couple of quick things. Governor, Stefan, Dominic, the Speaker, Mayor Lawson, everybody uh, up here. Um, things don't happen like this by accident. They have to have three components, sometimes four. They have to have business. They have to have labor. They have to have government with vision. And they have to have community buy-in. And when we do that, you look outside at the skyline, good things happen. And good things are going to happen again with the Superman building. The building trades have always been supportive of repurposing this building. Huh. I did a, uh, an interview a few years or so ago. Of course. And someone said, well, why don't we just tear it down? And I know I bumped into some people. I said, I liked your quote in that article. And the quote was, if we tore that building down, the city of Providence would look like it was missing a tooth. So we had to fix it. The PLA offers business opportunities for local businesses, minority businesses, but it also offers career paths for minority men and women, most coming from the city of Providence, the capital city, to start their construction career on a significant project such Unreal. as this. Because this will create will create significant number of jobs across all of the classifications that we represent in the uh, in the building trades. So in closing, I will promise this. It will be done on time, on budget, and huh. commit to you, Mr. Schweitzer, that this building will be brought back to its magnificence for sure. So with that, I say thank you, and let's get going. No way. Absolutely not. You know, this whole business of it would be missing a tooth. You know what else would be missing? Would be, you know, the, let's just say it was torn down. They would they could build a brand new building for half, less than half than what this is gonna cost. I don't know, fifty million, sixty million, somewhere in that range. You can go to seventy-five. This is endless. This is an endless amount of money that they get to spend. Uh, folks, again, I'm replaying this was the uh, Superman big press conference. It was really, to me, it was just so self-serving of uh, Stephen Pryor, Governor McKee, and also Alorza. Listen to uh, the introduction for Governor McKee. Islanders, we could get there with a deal that protects the taxpayers oh, yeah. and does breathe new life into this building. No, so it, it is doesn't. my true honor to introduce uh. Governor Dan McKee. Stephen, thank you, and um, you know, good shout out to your entire team, Stephen, for your persistence and and uh, you know the stick-to-itiveness that needs to happen when you uh, you know when you get involved with a project that uh, you know had uh, you know times when it didn't look like it was going to happen over those years, but today uh, we're here to declare that Rhode Island has momentum. It has economic momentum. Uh, and with the partnerships in Providence with the mayor, uh, this is just another example of that. With our, with our developers, those who are willing to put uh, their dollars invested into the state of Rhode Island, at the pace that we are currently investing in the state of Rhode Island with private funding and private investment, uh, it is an extraordinary time for, uh, for, the, for the state. And um, it doesn't happen without great partnerships. Um, certainly with our leadership, with the speaker and the president, thank you so much for your, you know, your involvement and your encouragement during this process, along with our, the province uh, contingent with the mayor and our council president that's here today, along with Mike, Mike Sabatoni, who's, we are, we, we're all about jobs and good paying jobs. And this is going to provide jobs and good paying jobs. And at the end of the day, it's going to light up a building that has not been lit in almost a decade. Uh, and that's one of our goals. One of our goals was to continue to check off the boxes and make sure that we take advantage of every opportunity that we have in front of us. So David, from the, um, you know, from High Rock Development, thank you so much for your persistence and your, in, uh, and uh, I just witnessed a signature of, a, of an MOU document in my office uh, with the, uh, with uh, Neil and, and our Lieutenant Governor as well there and, and representation from your company. So thank you for that. 
Um, have Neil Steinberg here as well, continuing to talk about the Rhode Island Foundation. And we're, we're, you know, we say often, uh, you know, at this podium, the foundation was a great partner in helping getting this done. And we want to recognize everybody that has been involved in this effort. Over the last several months, uh, you've probably heard me say Rhode Island has this momentum. And thanks in large part to having the highest vaccination rates in the nation, we're leading the Northeast in our economic recovery. Oh, here we go. Today we're just adding to what? that. There's no reason that the state of Rhode Island needs to be first in and last out of these economic downturns. What? There's no reason. I, that that I, I, hold on. Time out. Leading in economic development? This deal? I can only listen to so much, folks. Again, good afternoon at 146 on this Tuesday. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Listen, this guy, if you want to admit that he's had everybody over a barrel, that he's just been sitting there doing nothing with it, it's been... uh, it's been nine years that that building's been vacant, and we're supposed to believe what that that now that that is not having to give out that kind of money is not good economic development. All right, but I also want to touch on that a big news of the day is the fact that the major mask reversal that the judge struck it down. I want to play. Uh, this is a piece. This reporter was live at at Newark Airport. Again, yeah, we are seeing lots of faces this morning here at Newark. That's because that federal mask mandate is officially gone now. And what's interesting is, even within some families, we're seeing some people wear the mask and some aren't. Masks are no longer required on uh, U.S. domestic flights. This morning, a sight we haven't seen in more than a year. Travelers maskless on planes and walking through airports after a major reversal. A federal judge in Florida striking down the mask mandate on public transportation. The Biden administration saying masks are no longer required on planes, trains, buses, and transportation hubs. We've made it this far. It's like, why take that extra, extra risk if we don't have to? It's fantastic news. If you want to play that game, you know, go ahead. But I'm going to keep the mask on. The judge, appointed by former President Trump, saying the mandate exceeds the CDC's statutory authority and violates the procedures required for agency rulemaking. Now United, American, Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, and Alaska Airlines confirming they will no longer make passengers mask up. Those revisions now hitting the roads as well. Rideshare company Uber announcing overnight it is dropping mask mandates for drivers and riders. The judge's ruling comes as the nation sees a rise in infections from the BA2 subvariant with 34 states and territories seeing at least 10% increases over the last week. And just a reminder this morning, the CDC still recommends that you wear a mask, but again, that is totally up to you right now. But you need to check with your local transit systems. There may be some local laws in place. Just make sure there isn't a mandate there. You know, I think they're going to, and again, folks, good afternoon. Right now it's 149. Uh, Good luck to anyone that's still trying to enforce the mask mandate. Because I, I think that people are checked out on it. People do not want to go back to it. Um, the more that you have the vaccine, by the way, I, I do understand that in the month of March that the flu is spreading. But I'm seeing that Jen Psaki saying the Department of Justice will decide on the mask mandate appeal. So, you know, I'm glad to see that the Biden administration is... Still not accepting of it. Um, still not accepting of it. So they, they're still refusing to accept that. Jen Psaki, I would dispute the notion people are confused. We are here to alleviate the confusion, right? Um, no, I, I think people are confused on that. Let me pull up some sound on her. You know, if you missed, I think um, Donna Perry just has her, so to speak, number kind of well. Um, Jen Psaki refuses to apologize for White House debunked claim about Border Patrol whipping migrants. Of course she does. 
I mean, she's not going to um, say anything. Um, I want to go back to still yesterday. Biden interrupted by the Easter Bunny. I mean, when you think that they had to send the Easter Bunny to interrupt. Um, I, 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 the longer she's there, the more damage she's going to do. Um, this is when yesterday Pete Ducey of Fox was calling out the Biden lies about these whipping at the Border Patrol. We can sit here in the White House briefing room with no masks, but people can't sit in an airplane cabin with no masks. Well, Peter, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor that I'm aware of. If you're a doctor, I wasn't aware of that today until today. Okay, not a doctor. Just making sure. I don't know. Um, and nor does he play one on TV. There you go. Most days. Um, but these determinations. Remember, the masking guidance is there are is green, yellow, and red. We are currently in a green zone in Washington D.C. So they're not recommending it. Some people can still wear a mask if they want to. Many people do, or wear them in meetings, or wear them at certain times where you're going to be around or sitting close to people or maybe you have an immunocompromised parent or or friend and so people make that decision and there's this is based on health considerations and data that the cdc looks at about transmissibility as as we've seen an increase in cases on on airplanes and with the president's support if a flight is leaving from an airport in a green zone those people don't have to wear masks Again, Peter, there's a di- there's been long a difference from the beginning about people on an airplane and in uh, federal transportation vehicles and situations than where they are in locations. Like we hear, here continue to be in Washington D.C. a green zone. But what we'd ask for, I think it's important to remember, is a two week extension. Or not ask for what we had announced was a two week extension to look at the data and make recommendations based on the data and the science about whether it should be continued or not. Okay, on a different topic, we have new reporting that at least. 23 people apprehended at the southern border in 2021 are on the terror watch list. Why do you guys think it is that somebody on a terror watch list would want to get into the United States undetected? Well, I can't make an assessment of that. But what I can tell you is that your data you're citing here means the Border Patrol was doing their job. I mean, so, they so they apprehended people at the border. 2,000 illegal immigrants a day got away last month. Are you saying that you can say with certainty none of them are on a terror watch list? Here's what we're talking about. Encounters we know and of a suspected terrorists attempting to cross the southern border. They're very uncommon. Uh, we're talking about a few dozen annual encounters at most at most, uh, and these encounters represent significantly less than the 0.01% of total encounters per fiscal year in recent years. But I'd note, these individuals, these 23 people, the Border Patrol, they stopped them. They prevented them from getting into the country. They're protecting our homeland and keeping us safe. So the president is not worried about holes in the southern border being exploited by people trying to come in and kill Americans. He's grateful to the Border Patrol for doing their job and and stopping these people and preventing them from getting into the country. One additional question about uh, something that happened a few months ago down at the border. We've been told that the mounted Border Patrol officers, president accused of whipping migrants, have been notified they will not face criminal charges. So when is the president going to apologize to them? There is a process and an investigation that's gone through the Department of Homeland Security. I don't have any update on that. The president said that they were whipping people, which would be a criminal offense, and they've been told they're not going to be criminally And there was an investigation into that, and I'll let the Department of Homeland Security announce any conclusion of that investigation. You accuse these officers of brutal and inappropriate measures now that they've been told they will not be criminally charged. Will you apologize? And, Peter, there was an investigation into their behavior, so that investigation is playing out. Whenever it's going to be announced, the Department of Homeland Security will announce that. You know, she used that platform. And again, folks, that was uh, Peter Ducey of Fox, White House correspondent with uh, Jen Psaki of the White House. Good afternoon at 155 on this Tuesday. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Um, This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Stop it and see them 40 Brayton Hill Road in Lincoln they're waiting for you at the Lodge Hub and Eatery you know she won't owe up to it but 
they, they were they were saying that people were being whipped. They were absolutely saying people were being whipped. There was a big outrage over that. And it has to do with people that are unfamiliar with how you ride horses and control riders. Now, and control horses, how riders do that. Professional cowboys, professional riders know how to do that to protect an individual. Last September, as I interviewed a number of the people that were Border Patrol, and even the, the person who was the boss of the border, they were saying that, in fact, that that's how you actually protect the individual who's, you know, from, that's how you keep the horse away from going after these people. But, no, she absolutely should. At this point, I, I mean, I hope that they do keep her. You know, she's there until May. She's supposed to be leaving to go to get a job at MSNBC. But let her stay. The Biden presidency is going nowhere. I think you're going to have. I, I don't even think people fully realize how upset people are, how disappointed people are, how disgusted people are. And you know what's tough is we haven't had any polls. Channel 12 in the past has done polls. Lately, they have not been releasing any polls. Brown University used to release uh, political polls. Now, if you're wondering about Governor McKee, if you go to the website, topetro.com, I do have, and I want to, at least the Boston Globe does print out some of the polls and some polling. And I also realize a lot of people are um, in media keep retweeting or putting out information that majority of people in Rhode Island are against masks or for masks, I should say, that are in favor of masks. But I, 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 I want to see that show up because more and more this is starting to build that and it's it's think about it it's ridiculous but it, i i fully get it that this will be an issue in the fall you know would you vote for someone that comes to your door they're outside they're com- campaigning and they're wearing a mask uh, a lot of the progressives and the democrats they're still Demanding and saying that we should not, they should not be getting rid of the masks, even though everyone else is excited about it. Airlines now allow passengers to decide on mask wearing after the TSA won't enforce the mandate. So that doesn't mean all, by the way. Ripter announces they're no longer mandatory on buses for those that do ride the buses. But I think it's it's shaping up that it's going to be an issue, meaning... In the fall, come the primary and the general election, primary in September, general election in November, I think people are going to, if someone comes to your door and they're wearing a mask outside, I think it also makes it difficult for those campaigning, by the way, because they don't know what to do. What if they, if you don't wear a mask, you could actually offend one of the mask people. And then if you're wearing it and you're outside and you're never fully, te- you, you look kind of silly at this point. And I think a lot of people have a bias towards anyone that is, in fact, wearing the mask. Folks, it's John DePietro. It is Tuesday. We're back tomorrow on the radio at 11. We will be doing One After Dark Facebook Live a little bit later. I want you to stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news, and then it'll be the John Dion program. Listen right here. Again, visit the website, dpetro.com. D-E-P- WNRI, when stock it.